Shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum. Welcome to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. A podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism. And now, here's your neurologically different host, Orion Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly and I'm autistic. Now, my purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education and growth opportunities through open, honest and engaging conversations on autism. And my podcast seeks to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while increasing the level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people. You're in for a treat today, my friends, because my guest is one of my absolute favourite autistic advocates. He's a YouTube star. He has a TikTok following like pretty much no one else. His name is Hunter Hansen. Hunter Hansen from The Life Autistic joins me today. We are going to explore the, well, quite famously controversial new autism research study from the UK called Spectrum 10K. So let's get to my chat with Hunter Hansen from The Life Autistic. Oh, and a quick disclaimer, Hunter is not Owen Wilson. My friend, Autism, with Orion Kelly. Hunter, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to talk about Spectrum 10K with you because in your videos, a lot of times you'll say, instead of naming um, organizations that are touchy, you won't say them. You'll say, look, there is an organization, but I'll leave that up to you to look into. And I respect that because in the end, we all have our own way of communicating and interacting with people. Uh, you will know that yeah. I'm, I'm more of the hothead. That's why this conversation is good. Yeah. Uh, from that point of view, I'm really happy to talk to, to talk about Spectrum 10K with you because this is one of those topics where I feel like you'd say, you know what, I'm not really going to go into this, do your research and look into it. Uh, so thank <laughs> you for talking about it. And that's, that's good because yeah. for the benefit of not us, but everyone, let's, I'll just quickly go through this case. So I've got from their official website, Spectrum 10K aims to investigate the genetic and environmental factors that contribute to autism and related physical and mental health conditions to better understand well-being in autistic people and their families. The families part is a bit a bit strange. It's hoped 10,000 autistic people and where possible their families will take part. So the study, this is, this is the thing, Hunter, it's in bold. This study yeah. will not look for a cure for autism and does not aim to eradicate autism. I'm not doing any opinions here. Every member of the Spectrum 10K team and uh, values and respects the differences. Participants will complete an online questionnaire and provide a DNA saliva sample. And it says Spectrum 10K researchers will study the information collected from the questionnaire and DNA saliva sample alongside their electronic health records. This is clearly for UK residents based in the UK only. Okay. So the first thing that pops up to me, Hunter, there seems a contradiction. So they're looking at genetic and environmental factors contributing to autism, but they're not looking for like QR prevention or eradication. The intention of the study to me seems conflicted. What's your initial thoughts on, on just purely the intention of the study? Because it talks about yeah. well-being. Yeah. I, you know, you know me and I'm as much as I want to say, I ah, should look this up and do your research. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and just say the reason I say that there are always going to be looming specters of things that just don't sit well with autistic people in the neurodivergent populace. 
I can say, you know, hey, watch out for groups that aim to, you know, do some things that may seem questionable. I can say that in 2000, what are we, 21? That will apply to some new thing in 2023. I like to leave it blank. And personally, buddy, I got like three children. They have sapped out all my energy. So I have so little left for, you know, even my most passionate invective, which I just have to purpose differently. However, this, my knee jerk thought was like, if I'm not being given 10 grand to participate, like that disappoints me, you know, like, oh, Spectrum 10K, like, shoot, I would have been okay. Not really, but semi okay <laughs> with like a 10 gram payday for my prime autistic DNA. Like, oh, you no, put a I'm price on your DNA and it's, <laughs> exactly. it's like, hey, you know what? I've got, you know, great memory skills, superior masking, white male. Like, I mean, and for this audience, you know, I'm <laughs> joking. I'm just dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> I'm always, you know, it just, when they mention, hey, we're going to study your DNA, but use that to extrapolate it into like environmental factors and the well-being of you and your family. I'm by trade, I'm more in the data business. I don't talk in specifics about that, but I do find that it is a rather specific biometric data collection aim for something that I don't really see a clear link to how this might just be my lack of understanding, but I don't see a link to how it's going to inform other elements of my holistic well-being. Like, cool, you know my DNA, but why can't I just sample my environmental DNA to give you a perspective of, hey, here's my composition as a person. What you're aiming to answer requires a much more comprehensive sample of things that you can't test. So it's almost like we're trying to solve for more things for reasons I can't go into, I do have some professional and specific insight into, you know, the use of biometric data. Um, and I'm just, again, I'm going to dance around that. I wish I could say more, but you can infer from details, you know, about me and about just how one's uh, data is used. It's a very, it's not the immediate purpose. It's what it can be used for. And I think that's, that's enough to give me pause personally. Like, oh, when somebody says, we only promise to use it for X, Y, and Z, you know, um, there's a lot of compromise that could potentially happen. There's, I'm not confident in the technology of many companies to, you know, protect something like that. And I, I can get into like the data biases and stuff, but as far as the aim, it's yeah. just it seems very laser focused. And I think with some of the points that you'd mentioned that we'll probably cover, um, while it's not necessarily a slippery slope to infer that there's more nefarious aims, the fact that you can see the landscape pitching downward to that gives me pause, you know? And that's, again, I'm, I'm pretty slow to wrath, man. I'm just, I'm just old, you know, but to project into the future, like what are the best and worst possible outcomes? I feel like the best outcomes of this are potentially incomplete. The worst, I don't think are apocalyptic, but I do think would be very unnerving and uh, damaging to like what I think are greater aims in the autistic community, which is yeah. we need better support environments and structures. That's cool that you've mapped out my genes. Tell me like how I can switch off my migraines, but I don't know if my neurotype is so simple as to be just a, a DNA mapping exercise. And then there's a lot of, and then what's that follow? So yeah. a bit of a rant, but yeah. You can only look at history to see what could happen on the slippery slope and history isn't good. So, uh, but I think before we move on to the DNA and the, and the, and the data, 
The other thing I just wanted to quickly touch on and, uh, and ask you about with the kind of intention is, okay, they're basically saying, okay, so some autistic people have what they would class as bad comorbidities and some don't. And they're yeah. trying to say, we want, we're going to help you autistic people have better lives by working out why some autistic people have comorbidities of say epilepsy or anxiety or, or yeah. whatever that may be and why some of you don't. But then the question is, okay, dot, 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 but then what are you going to do to, to help that? So, so yeah. it, it, there seems like there's a focus on, on comorbidities and, and I don't know, is it a tenuous link to, to autism? But what are your thoughts on the idea that that's kind of, they're focusing on other things that affect yeah. your life and how that will, that will impact your well-being? but how? Yeah, it's one of those, because that's, again, that's a little, that's a little new to me in terms of where the comorbidities come into play. But I, you know, I know people and children who are epileptic, they're not autistic, you know? So if it's like, if you're so interested in addressing those elements, like my little glib joke about migraines, like why, why is there no like migraine cure? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't, there is no serviceable purpose to those, you know, and I think you'd be hard pressed to say like, Hey, this is, this is not a variation. This is a debilitation. You Mm -hmm. know, I would argue that autism is a, is a, uh, it's a neurotype. It's a variation. And yes, I understand it poses, you know, challenges in my life, but that is, that is my neurological wiring, you know? So I, I do feel like there's so many other associated elements to it that I would almost wonder why those are not their own focus points. Like why, you know, is, ep- is epilepsy still, it's still a thing, right? It's not yes. cured, you know, it's not treated. Like, so there's other isolated things to where I would rather advocate for understanding those in like of any neurotype, right? Yeah. Just on the face of it. I feel like if I could, you know, if I were on that study looking at comorbidities, I'd wonder like, why, why am I making this more difficult? And again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not an expert in autism. I just, I I am autistic. That's my experience. But yeah, I think, like I said, the portent is, it's just worrisome. And you even see just based on, um, I'll just say some of the reaction from the autistic community, it's hard to get everything 100% right 100% of the time. But I think reactions to how autism studies portrayals and the experiences handled is kind of a tell. And the fact that you've got such outsized reaction should give people pause, especially again, especially in what I think is just uh, ridiculous in like a self-selection study, you know, where it's people who are just, who are diagnosed and opting into it. You have two levels of bias that ignores diagnosis and I'm pretty, pretty picky about the self-selection element. So yeah, Yeah, there's, yeah, it's like one of those intent, like, you know, you can say that, but I realize that intents may change, but the data that you've harvested. Yeah. doesn't. You've already got words. They're kind of using the comorbidities as like a foil as a veil. It could be. It's, it's one of those, I, it's hard to, it's hard to judge what intents are, but then like, I think you're kind of hinting in a way, what's to say that the landscape changes in a few years, you know, and obviously it's, it's borderline unethical to say, well, you know what, we have all this, we can, we can use this for this purpose instead, even though it skirts the bounds of how we collected it. I, I would hope, I would hope, and I would hope that there is just, there's better intent. I don't really see this as like a, 
the tip of the spear to finally like eradicate autistic people, you know, but I do feel like, again, there's just too many concerns and portents and just gaps in like really connecting with the autistic community, especially, especially like more passionate advocates who are very public and prominent in their work. Like if I'm going for something, I'm going to go for the people I know who would have the most vociferous opposition, you know, just even from a PR standpoint, like, you know, this ain't going to sit well with the autistic community. How do I bring some of these voices to say, what's your take? Is there a way to do it? Like, here's, here's literally what we're trying to do. Can you help me manage an approach or can you help inform how you would want this to be done? You know, cause I think there's, there's learning that exists on both sides and I'm open to learn it too. You already mentioned about the, I guess the selective process and we want to get to eugenics in a sec, but first, can I just get your take on just the basic idea of DNA collection, data groups, data collection uh, with regards to an autistic study because i think maybe some people are ignorant in there they automatically just see it and hear it and go oh bad um but what is your thoughts on dna collection you know formulating data groups and what yeah i don't i mean i don't i've never really contributed my dna to a, a massive study and it seems like a big a big enough ask i'm gonna take this from like a really broad level yeah and then apply it to my specific domain and then I might have to pass on some parts of the questions where I'm not expert. So from a broad perspective, if you look at all of the furor that is generated over our understanding of our data, like, you know, you look at Facebook, they have gotten in trouble for mismanaging data. You look at TikTok and it's one of those that scrapes your data. You're an unwilling participant in so many data gathering objectives to where I think we've we're getting to the point in society where we're finally realizing the value of of who we are we've enacted legislation like at least in europe with gdpr and other things to where like this is being taken seriously and it's kind of too little too late i think Mm. but i feel like the more we get into it the more we're realizing just how how data is being used in ways that most people don't understand just how algorithms are built, um, composites and profiles built to kind of frame who you are. And a lot of tech companies and other companies who harvest data, uh, just in general, or any company really, uses it to form a certain, they'll say, well, we don't know anything about you, but we can basically infer who you are, you know? And it's just, it pervades our life for purposes that we don't always consent to. People are mostly unwitting to it. You know, some realize like, you know, when I do this and I enable this thing, this is why I see certain ads in feeds. And that's the most innocuous use of that stuff. And that's literally just me clicking on a website and visiting something. So to take it to an almost fundamental genetic level, you know, that's quite the leap. <laughs> and I, that's yeah. not something that I, you know, even for, for medical purposes and studies, like it's just, and this is just me speaking personally, um, just knowing a little bit about the nature of, of data collection. I, I don't elicit a lot of comfort. I can see where, you know, we're, we're looking for something that is specific to me. I, I will mention this because it's a very public example, but Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, I think had his DNA sequenced his own DNA or some kind of genetic mapping 
for the purpose of understanding how to best treat and like basically cure his own uh, virulent pancreatic cancer. So I can see a version of Hunter who would work personally with someone to better understand me where I could inform all elements of that. I think that's not as considerable a leap. Like if I'm talking to my doctor and it's like, hey, I'm really challenged with this or I have a very close challenge in a related issue, the act of volunteering more information to a more personal context and something more personalized is one thing. But to contribute to an aggregate I feel like I have less agency in that. So, so there's that aspect. And then from like the data standpoint, you know, I, I get that different organizations are going to be limited to um, different populaces, right? So confining it to one region. And I think just the, the self-selection bit about, hey, we, we are only collecting information from um, not just autistic individuals, but those who would have had or at least can infer some kind of diagnosis, which can mean different levels of quote unquote function, more appropriately support needs, access to diagnosis. You know, so you have somebody who may have been diagnosed, you know, as, as a child, others who don't have access to it. So I, I then start to get concerns about like, you know, the data collection pool and how you know, how much bias they're getting into it. You know what I mean? So it's not like we have a database of known cancer patients, which is basically agnostic in a lot of ways. There's just so much more rigor to it than even I can bring to it. So, and, and again, anytime you're, you're asking for volunteers, you are interjecting a little bit of bias into your methodology. That, that's generally how it works. That's why sam samples are conducted a little more randomly. Like you try to get like a certain control group. And there's just so much more layers to conducting these kinds of larger statistical tests that maybe I'm conflating it to a little bit here, but that's, that's the first thing that gives me pause just from like a data collection and testing enterprise as well. But I mean, as far as the ethics, the one, the one area to where I don't have the expertise is how these studies are conducted for other things. Like what if it is pancreatic cancer? How do you map that out? What if you're really trying to determine whether there is a uh, genetic or regional variant? And then the purpose of that is like, hey, we need to build a better treatment for it. Like that seems, that seems obvious. Cancer is a debilitating deviation from the norm. So I, but I don't know how those studies work. Like I, I don't know what they, and it's not like they're testing a drug or they didn't have to do this for like COVID patients. So it's more of understanding like deeper genetic makeup that, yeah, you could probably do that for some diseases, but autism's not a disease, you know, but it does seem like they're using that same approach. And again, it's just, I don't get so heated about it in my projections, but there are things to where internally it's like, you know, if this was a thing in America and they asked me my opinion, I'd share them and I'd be a little hesitant on the primary direction. Like I'd rather just build better support first because that will elevate more than just autistic people. And then if we're looking at specific comorbidities, like, oh my goodness, you know, my autistic son suffers from debilitating epilepsy or migraines that render him just non-functioning. It's like, well, cool. We need better drugs for migraines. <laughs> you know, Hey, let's find the genetic link to epilepsy where there is just, it's not a variant neurotype. It is a, as a harmful, uh, debilitating condition. You know, there's not absolute, there's not like 
you know, lower support needs with epilepsy. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my garbled, garbled, long atmospheric specific. And then where I just don't have enough insight to comment. So I hope yeah. there's an and answer in there somewhere. There, there is. Uh, look, I mean, from a bioethics point of view too, what I would say is, okay, so kids under six, I mean, the kids are part, this is a predominantly, probably a lot of kids involved in this study. Does that mean that their parents are just making the decision for them? I mean, you know, can a kid under six or can a child of any age make informed consent? You're a grown man. Yeah. There's a difference. So this is, again, you know, what we say really has little relevance to the people doing it. They're going to do it. But my, yeah. I guess my point is, you know, you were you were an autistic child once. Now, yeah, yeah. so was I. If our parents decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be a part of this. We're gonna take. We're gonna let him. Uh, we're gonna collect his DNA for this study. But you're a child, and you know, down the track, you're an adult, and the worst case scenario, the slippery slope, and you know, your DNA was part of what um, eradicated or you know provided a screening, a, a prenatal screening or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's a tricky situation with regards to informed consent and parents making yeah. that call. Yeah. It's, I think, and like, that's one to where I feel like that kind of, that, that pervades a lot more than just consent to testing. You know, like, I'm just thinking of all the stuff that I have to do on behalf of my daughter's forms yeah. that we have to fill out that, you know, in general, they, and this is, I'm actually going to tangent on something where I, I actually fall on an interesting side of this. And I wonder whether Hunter Hansen's going to have some reckoning for it. I feel like the pendulum is eventually going to swing to our kids need more agency eventually. And it's like, at what point do we, we realize that, look, your, your parents are just going to have the best uh, line of sight into that. You know, my daughter's not going to fill out immunization and vaccination forms. She, she's not going to contextualize and have enough intelligence and capability as, you know, three, four, five, six year old yet to make a call on what, medicine she needs you know I'm, I'm her dad I, I should I should know best I'm her parent I'm you know her mom same thing you know but I do think of where we we look at other implicit non-consentables and we've seen this more in social media where I know a lot of autistic advocates or just people in general don't bring their kids into it they will obfuscate their kids faces because of their stance on you know what I want them to feel like they've had a agency and more of their decisions. And sometimes it gives me pause too, because it's like, I, I'm very purposeful and limited to the intent in which I will share things to where it's like, I, I may have to reckon with, you know, dad, even though I was happy in this, I didn't really have a choice. And it's like, no, you didn't, <laughs> you know, and I, I know you're, you know, I know your kids too, and you've, you've brought them in and they've started on videos. And I mean, I feel like you, you have the utmost respect and integrity and you don't show them at their worst. Like I feel like other, um, you know, I, the parents of autistic children can do. So it's one of those to where I, there is a scary undercurrent in this information age. And I kind of wonder if there is going to be a seismic shift to where like, we really need to consider, you know, this is something that you, we do not want to look back and think our kids were unwittingly consented to something very serious when this is something that's so important. Like if you're too young to make a decision about something personal, then we need to just wait. It's one of those, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I realized that there that's is where we land on it five years from now is probably going to be radically different. And I think we're yeah. already starting to see more emphasis on 
privacy um, rights, especially as it is with kids. And you know what, like in five years, some, some of that may have happened where it's like, Hey, you, you can't post pics of kids tagged as public because we have no way to validate their consent. That may be our, our future. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. but, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my amorphous take on that. I mean, maybe in five years we'll go, we shouldn't let Ali G do a study. Uh, and of course it's not, I know it's not. Ali G. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Cause he was an original special interest of mine, like of the Baron Collins. I just, yeah, I actually went oh on my. a bit of an Ali G show binge after I, so, I was like, Oh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch all these old episodes. I've got all the, I've got all the DVDs. No, I is ready. Man. I love yeah. I absolutely <laughs> respect. I don't want to mimic or imitate it, but what, what he does is like an art that was yeah. just, we didn't have the ability. Most people just didn't get it at the time. Oh, you know, I thought it was like, hilarious. It was, it was so, so well done. Anyway, that's, that's all, all right. So I want to talk, this is the last thing we're going to want, we're going to talk about, I guess the eugenics and the future use this, this, these are the hot button issues. And there's been yeah. a lot of um, there's been a lot of talk online. I'm not uh, looking to to delve into those types of arguments because I think they yeah. they're like they're cyclical. Let's just yeah. talk about the idea that the core issue for autistic people, taking away all the silly arguments, is that yeah. DNA predominantly can be used to to cure something, to prevent something, or to screen for something. Uh, so potentially, yeah. there's the eugenic side of this study, and I think. Any autistic person would probably be pretty concerned that they there would be a future where their life could have could have been a question mark based on yeah. a screening test uh, or a prevention or a cure. Now we know clearly that you can't acquire or cure uh, autism. It's not a disease. It's a you know it's a yeah. neurological developmental uh, disability or whatever you want what do you want to refer to it mm. as. I still think that at the core, putting on the argument aside, that that's a that to me that seems like a legitimate concern. Well, like, what are your thoughts on the idea of a prenatal screening test for autism? I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense a thought. It is, and I I usually don't delve into this because it's for me it's one of those where I don't really jack up the emotional temperature of a room in an argument, especially online. It's just one to where there is, I have to approach these things very carefully because it's hard to take like, I'm not talking about toothpaste flavors. You can have a pretty neutral subjective slash objective commentary and discussion. Uh, fair on, enough. You know, you know what I mean? So, and that's one to where like, that's easy to do, but when it comes to the potential eugenic consequences, I feel like that gets thrown out so quickly. Like that's just one to where it's like, I'm just going to turn the dial all the way up on this. And then you bring in so many emotions that it tends to cloud a lot of the parts of the argument. Now there's one thing to where it's like, I, I almost play like a mental double down because one of the very fiercest issues in America by either projection or politics or what have you is that of abortion. And I, I stay very clear of that. And, you know, my public forums, I'm very guarded about that in private discussion, but it is where it may be more black and white in other countries it's very much a hot button issue in America. So we think about eugenics, like we associate that with a different kind of historical context. But if I talk about choice, pro-choice, pro-life, 
and where this intersects. And then we get to an argument where it's like, what would you do with your child if you knew they were going to be born with Down syndrome? I can tell you what the numbers say. Well, there's a screening test. I mean, certainly there's in Australia, a screening, there's a test screening test. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, based on, you know, laws and what, what countries permit, uh, mothers are given the right to, you know, either continue their pregnancy or, or terminate it based on that information, you know, and that's, it's hard to like broach this unemotionally, but that's a fact. But then I think I, I still see people with Down syndrome who can advocate for their own quality of life, yes. you know, and you kind of like, if you zoom in and zoom out, there's just no, there's no easy way to reconcile that for a lot of people. You know what I mean? And then I think, what if we start substituting that for your daughter is going to be autistic? Think about people's understanding of autism. Now. This is the problem. Yeah, this is the problem. But then it's like, how do you reconcile that with as a mom? You know, they talk, I, I'm, again, I'm just using the phrase like, you know, a mom's right to choose versus a person's right to, to live. And that's like, there's no way of knowing there just yeah. isn't like, I don't know what my mom would have done. I mean, I can guess, but it's one of those where if you knew, hold on, you know, your son's autistic, he's going to be autistic, but Hey, let me show you what he's going to be like in 30 years. Like, Oh wait, that's autistic. <laughs> or, you know, so it, Orion, this is, this is one to where I, I have to tread very lightly. And I think the, the real damage that's done is people throw out the eugenics thing and they go all the way to like reach into I think more ominous historical context yeah. without breaking it down to where if this is used as a screening test, we would have concerns that there would be fewer autistic people, you know, that I'm, you know, maybe there's, I, I can be wrong on some of these things, but I would have to get a certain intersection of how you would balance autistic people who are advocating for just living full supported lives versus what, mothers parents choose to do with children who they know are going to be autistic yeah. you know and then i think you know maybe the fast forward element is listen autism's not a death sentence just because your son is going to be autistic just because your daughter has markers of autism this is not something that is guaranteed to debilitate effect like and that's one to where like you've got to kind of match ignorance with education yeah, you know, which won't, so which won't be in the prenatal setting, though, will it? Like, we can't so, expect the people you know, that are delivering yeah. the information of the tests, right, to, to, to know these types of things, nor, nor is something, I guess it's something. Yeah, really I'm not good at hypotheticals, yeah. but it's so, one of those so, where, the, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, haven't. Yeah. You think that branches out, though. Your, your point is exactly what I agree with, rather than the kind of the, the, the odd arguments. The fact is, you can forget about historical stuff. Eugenics is a normal, yeah. genetic, genetic you know, studies, modifications, these are, that's just a normal way of life these days. So from a future yeah. use point of view, okay, so Spectrum 10K clearly aren't doing this. We're not, I'm not suggesting Spectrum 10K are, are looking to do this, but, but with regards to DNA and data being unsold, being used for different purposes by other sources in the future, this is where, this is where it becomes a core concern. And I guess I agree with you that it, rather than having these like weird Twitter arguments, we just have to acknowledge, I mean, there's people, uh, people part of the spectrum 10 K team uh, of, you know, like there's someone from, I think it's uh, UCLA uh, from the genetic kind of department. Now, I mean, it's not rocket science to, to look at no. connections here, but putting that aside, the future use, the on selling of data and DNA for different purposes by different sources. Uh, am I yeah. drawing too long a bow or is that a, 
a realistic possibility in the future. I mean, I think there's, you know, I look at like the, the scaffolds of possible and, and probable. And I, again, my knowledge on medical data collection is limited, but there are, there are far fewer probabilities and likelihoods that do not preclude um, possibilities, you know, and that's just, and it's one of those where, you know, I'm going to come up with like a hypothetical that for all the data that we collect in general, we have not optimized ways to use it best. That's why like things like data science and machine learning are continually evolving studies and people who can solve that quicker can do better with it. Uh, People joke about like the TikTok algorithm, you know, it's not super, it's not super rocket science. It's just that it's, they found different data vectors to collect and put them together in a way that no one had done before. And it creates, you know, like an addiction cycle, which they can monetize. And it's just, it's kind of wild how they, they get people with it. I think about like, you know, it's not so much what the stated purpose and like the ethical limitations are. Sometimes those things can change. Sometimes there's a creative way to where, oh, we happen to have this data set that we now have new tools to use it for. Yeah. And I don't know what those tools are. And then, you know, I think about other possibilities, like, I don't, I don't even know who'd be in on it, but what's to say that there's, you know, like what's, what's to, what's to speak of in terms of like security of that. So there's like a whole bunch of yeah. apocalyptic scenarios yeah. that again, I, I joke that I don't do so well with hypotheticals. I can stretch to think that there are many possibilities, but as with many things, the probabilities tend to be just a lot more boring. Yeah. Like I say this and I feel like I'm going to be proven more right than wrong. And it's not to dismiss anybody, but for all of the autistic apocalyptic scenarios to where we feel like the cause has been set back, it really hasn't. I mean, maybe it's a couple steps back, but I think it's continuing a much more positive march toward autistic awareness and then understanding and then appreciation. And I feel like that's moving. It's not always a straight line. Yeah. It's not always upward. And then sometimes you get things to where it's like, oop, there's a stumble and it just goes to show you, well, we've got some more stereotypes to bust, but it's a, it's an upward cycle. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would argue that 10 years ago, autism and awareness and advocacy was in a much worse place. And yeah, we weren't facing down the the threat of, you know, Spectrum 10K or other misguided charities or films or what have you. But despite a lot of the setbacks, I kind of take the long view and think in 10 years, you know, there's going to be better autism diagnostics, you know, for adults, for children, there's going to be more understanding and it's going to pervade a lot more societal areas, jobs, careers, understanding, you know, and I, I would hope, and this is bizarre coming from me because I'm not, I'm not super optimistic about stuff, but I am optimistic that it's like, you know, you're going to get people who are going to be connected to autism in a way to where it's going to be about building greater understanding and support. I feel like there's been enough blowback and pushback about cures to where, yeah, they can try to work it in and then mask it, but even that is getting pushed back. At what point? And I think there will be a point, you know, a lot of companies and initiatives will realize like, you know what, this, we can't even make it, uh, we can't even shape this approach in a way to where we have to claim 
that it's not meant as a cure. You know what I mean? So the fact that they have to put that disclaimer, I think the yeah. efforts in the future are going to be more, we're looking to make lives better for autistic people. Yeah. We don't want to know about your DNA. We just want to know what yeah. do you struggle with and how can we eradicate a lot of systemic obstacles? Like, why can't they just say that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, how about Spectrum 100K, which talks to employers who have had pervasive challenges in supporting neurodivergent talent? Yeah. Like, why are we doing that? We don't need DNA for that. It's like, why don't we just better support these people as they are? And then, hey, if there's an autistic led study to where we can, you know, address the comorbidities. Yeah, then maybe we'll engage. So I, yeah. it's just, there's so much gloss. There's so much of a PR blitz campaign, but I, I know there's a lot of money behind a lot of this stuff, but I don't, I think those are the last vestiges of like what autism advocacy and science is about. And I think it's going to pivot just because they can't yeah. keep marching this on in perpetuity. Even there's just, there's enough of a great autistic awakening that I, it's not a straight line. It's not going to be upward, but I feel like autistic advocates are doing a better job advocating for their lives. Some are yeah. strident, some are invective about it, but then I think there's a balance of people, you know, dudes like me. It's like, I, I just look, I just wish my cars wouldn't break down. <laughs> you know, I just, I just want my employers not to surprise me with meetings and they don't. <laughs> and that yeah. adds to my well being. I just, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just need people to, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of components to it. I, I can't beat those closing remarks, so I'm, I'm not going to. Hunter, it's, I really do appreciate your time because for me, it's, it's been great to connect with you and have a chat and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. And, and please check out Hunter's YouTube and TikTok. And what's that, what's that new thing you'd write on? What's it called? Is it called? I, uh, it's, uh, it's Substack. So that's more like a, a writing platform. But okay. I, um, I just wanted to get back into writing just to write and you can find me on Substack too if you like reading writing. Sounds great. Hey, Hunter, thanks for your time. Really appreciate the Absolutely. chat. And we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate you. My guest on this episode was autistic advocate and YouTube star Hunter Hansen from The Life Autistic. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Online at orionkelly.com.au. And could I just say thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism? If the episode has resonated with you, well, I'd be really appreciative if you'd consider sharing it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. Our whole point is to raise a level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people. So listening and sharing and commenting and telling people about it is exactly how we can achieve that. And if you want to continue the conversation, well, say hey to me. Follow the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or you can send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. Until next time, thank you so much for opening up your minds and embracing differences. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and never miss an episode. Like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au. Listener.